0: Hello, and welcome to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, former college professor, current college administrator, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or is associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my very own serious crime scale, with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. It's the story of Illinois State University graduate student Jelani Day. Earlier this year, on August 25th, Jelani was reported missing, and shortly after, on September 4th, Jelani's body was found along the Illinois River in Peru, Illinois. After an autopsy revealed no evidence of assault or altercation, the county coroner concluded the cause of his death was simply drowning. But Jelani's family, friends, and thousands of supporters think there is much more to the story than a simple accidental drowning. This episode is titled, Hashtag What Happened to Jelani Day. So without further ado, let's get started. Jelani J.J. Day was a 25-year-old graduate student at Illinois State University who was working on a master's degree in speech pathology. He had just recently began attending ISU in the summer of 2021, but he was already making a great impression in the Communication Sciences and Disorders program. One of his professors in the program, Amanda Regez, said, quote, Jelani was a strong, intelligent man who was making an impact in his community and our program. This meant everything to him, end quote. And she was exactly right. Furthering his education in speech pathology and eventually becoming a doctor was a huge dream for Jelani, a dream that Jelani was well on his way to making a reality. But for reasons and circumstances that still remain a mystery, that dream was stripped away from him after he went missing and his body was later found floating in the Illinois River. But how did we get here? How did this happen? How could a well-accomplished, respectful young man with an incredibly bright and promising future suddenly end up in a body of water with no explanation at all? Well, unfortunately, we still don't have these answers specifically, but I can tell you what we do know. So let's start at the beginning. Jelani was one of five siblings, having two brothers and two sisters, and he grew up in a very tight-knit family in Danville, Illinois. Danville is a town in Vermilion County with a population of about 31,000 people. So, to put it into more perspective, Danville is about two and a half to three hours south of Chicago. Growing up, he often attended church with his family at Saints Synagogue Church of God in Christ, and he spent his summers working at the local YMCA. One of his best friends, Jackson Malady, knew Jelani since they were five years old. He said Jelani, quote, lit up a room when he walked into it, and he'd take control of that room, end quote. Malady also said that since they were five, quote, I always said he was definitely the best of us, which held true up until the day he died, end quote. Jelani attended Danville High School, where he was a mega track star and also part of the educational talent search program through TRIO. Those who knew him described his brilliant smile, contagious laugh, and unwavering confidence. His teachers and coaches from high school recalled nothing but wonderful, positive things about Jelani, like his former history teacher, Jacob Brettz, who is now the assistant principal at Danville High School. He said when he learned of Jelani's death, he thought of it as a candle being snuffed out because Jelani was such a bright light to everyone around him. Brettz said, quote, I remember him being supremely confident and, in some ways, being maybe a little jealous myself, like, I wish I had that much self-confidence, end quote. Jelani's high school track coach remembered him as being a leader, not a follower, but he described Jelani as a quiet leader, being the hardest worker on the team and leading through his actions. Everyone described Jelani as big-hearted, hardworking, and on a path to success. So it was no surprise that upon graduating high school in 2014, Jelani earned himself a track scholarship to Alabama A&M University, a historically black college and university located in Huntsville, Alabama. While in college, Jelani not only ran track, but he was also a member of the new Epsilon chapter of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. He was a member of the 100 Black Men of Greater Huntsville, Collegiate 100, and the House of Rust dance team. He graduated in the top of his class from Alabama A&M in 2018 with a bachelor's degree in communicative sciences and disorders. But do you want to know what led him to choose that major? Again, speaking of his big heart, it was because of a childhood friend, Paul Armand, who had a speech impediment. Armand actually spoke at Jelani's funeral, referring to how hard Jelani was working to become a doctor and speech therapist so he could, quote, help people like me who have trouble talking end quote. I'll pause while you cry a little bit to yourself because of how incredibly compassionate and inspiring that tidbit of information truly is. Now, moving on, after earning his bachelor's degree from Alabama A&M University, Jelani had his heart set on being a doctor. His mom, Carmen Bolden-Day, said he wanted to be a doctor to not only help people, but also so his mom would never have to work again, according to an article in The Pantograph. And he was so excited for every step of the process along the way. For example, one of his professors from Alabama said he was such a life force in the classroom. He was intuitive, quick-witted, and he took his studies and education very, very seriously. One time, the professor recalled, he even showed up in a three-piece suit for a class presentation. And when he received his white coat at a pinning ceremony, he was so excited and proud that he wore the coat all the way back to his dorm room. As you can see, Jelani was truly loved and respected and just thought incredibly highly of by everyone who knew him. So that's why his death left everyone not only shocked and deeply saddened, but it's so hard for everyone to accept because the events and situation leading up to his death just do not make sense. So here's what we know. In August of this year, in 2021, Jelani had just started a new semester at Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois. Tuesday, August 24, 2021, was just another weekday for Jelani. He was first spotted on campus at about 7.20 a.m. in the university's Bone Student Center. According to WGLT, an NPR radio station at ISU, that morning, Jelani was reportedly wearing a blue button-up collared dress shirt, black pants a black belt, black dress shoes, and a blue face covering. Carmen, Jelani's mother, said he had appointments scheduled for later that day with clients, which was part of his clinical requirements for his master's program. However, he never made the appointments. The last time he was seen was in security camera footage later that same day on August 24th at about 9.12 a.m., He was walking into the Beyond Hello Cannabis Dispensary in Bloomington, Illinois, which is just minutes from the ISU campus in Normal. At the dispensary, though, Jelani had already changed his outfit by this time, though it wasn't even two hours later. He is now wearing a blue Detroit Lions baseball cap, a black Jimi Hendrix t-shirt, white or silver shorts, and black shoes with white soles. You can also see his white Chrysler 300 parked in the parking lot outside the dispensary. but. After this, Jelani was never seen or heard from again. But here's the thing. He was a very responsible person. He still had those appointments scheduled on campus and those clinicals with clients, but he never showed up to any of it. Carmen said, quote, something deterred him or changed his mind, end quote. According to an article in the Pantograph, Jelani hadn't been to class in several days, but it wasn't specific on how many days exactly, and his family hadn't spoken to him since Monday, August 23rd. Both of these things were very unusual for Jelani because he was pretty much always in class, and Carmen said it was not like him to disappear or go somewhere without telling someone where he was or where he was going. The next day, on August 25th, after Jelani had not been to class and his family couldn't reach him, one of Jelani's professors from ISU helped Carmen file a missing person report. It didn't take police long to find a major break in the case, but unfortunately, it would only lead to more questions than answers in the days that followed. On August 26th, so just a day after Jelani was reported missing, police found his Chrysler 300 at 4.20 p.m. in a wooded area in Peru, Illinois, a location more than 60 miles away from campus. Inside the car, police found the clothes Jelani was last seen wearing, but at this point, nothing specifies whether the clothes were from earlier that morning, like his dress clothes, or if they were the clothes he was wearing when he visited the cannabis dispensary. Regardless of which set of clothes they found, though, Jelani himself was nowhere in sight. The Pantograph reported that upon finding Jelani's car, law enforcement set up a command post at the location in Peru where his car was discovered. According to the article in the Pantograph, Illinois State Police conducted an extensive canine search, the Peru and Utica fire departments conducted drone aerial searches, and there were also ground search teams from the Peru, Utica, and Oglesby fire departments. And... They were assisted by detectives from the Bloomington Police Department and the State Attorney's Office. Still, with all those people searching, they didn't find Jelani anywhere. But here's the thing: Carmen, via a Zoom town hall meeting, specifically said that she received a call from police at about 4:30 that afternoon. Remember, they had just found his car 10 minutes prior at 4:20, but. Instead of telling her they found his car, police simply asked her if her son had connections in Peru or really any reason to be in Peru. All they said was that they had evidence that led them to believe Jelani had been in Peru, and they were conducting a search in the area. Immediately, Carmen and her family jumped into the car to head to Peru, but from Danville, where they lived, it's a minimum of a two-hour drive, according to Google Maps. So, Carmen and her family were not present for the search. Then, at 8.30 that evening, that night, after Carmen and her family arrived in Peru, that is when police told her they found Jelani's car. They did not mention they found it when they first called her. What?! This is just the beginning of tons of information and a lack of transparency, I guess if that's what you want to call it, that would happen between Jelani's family and law enforcement. A few days later, Jelani's friends and family organized an event at Illinois State University called A Night of Support, in which people gathered in support of searching for Jelani. At that event, his mother, Carmen, told a group of people that she wanted to end the rumors that Jelani was depressed or struggling with mental health, and therefore, that couldn't have contributed to Jelani's disappearance in any way. She said that if he would have been struggling, she knows without a doubt that he would have talked to someone in his family, to her, his own mother, or one of his four siblings, or any of his other relatives because their family is incredibly close and supportive of one another. On September 2nd, police informed Carmen that they had found Jelani's wallet somewhere between where his car was found and the Illinois River, which is near the area as well. At that point, they told her he must have dropped his wallet as he was walking to the river, insinuating that they believed he had been walking toward the river. But Carmen was confused because they hadn't provided any other context or possibilities of why he was even out there in the first place. Again, again, Either lack of communication or some type of misinformation is happening here. The next break in the case came on September 4th, 2021. According to a press release from the LaSalle County Coroner's Office, side note, LaSalle County is where the city of Peru is located, but according to that press release, members of the Illinois Search and Rescue Council, along with other search agencies, were conducting an additional search along the Illinois River because, again, where his car was found was very close to the river. During that search, they found a male body floating face down near the south bank of the river, about a quarter of a mile east of the Illinois Route 251 bridge. At this point, though, even though authorities suspected the body to likely be identified as missing ISU student Jelani Day, they had to wait for forensic testing to determine if this was indeed Jelani. Now, I can only imagine the agony his family must have felt while they just waited and trust me agony is an understatement because listen to this you know how i said it was the illinois search and rescue council who was searching and ultimately were the ones to find jelani's body well carmen clarified that police were not the ones who requested the services of illinois search and rescue want to know who did request those services it was carmen herself She is the reason they came out and even conducted another search that day in the first place. Not police. After finding his body, Carmen said, investigators informed her that the body, whom they were not sure was Jelani or not, was in very bad condition and was basically unrecognizable. The body was missing upper and lower teeth, and they said it was quite possible that they wouldn't be able to identify him through dental records alone. Therefore, they needed DNA from her, his mom, but also from his dad, Save Day, and a sibling as well. They needed the DNA because they were going to take a tibia bone from the body to compare the DNA. So, two days later, on September 6th, Carmen and her family provided the DNA they needed for testing. However, they told her, DNA testing may take up to four weeks to completely process. So doing her due diligence to make sure the coroner and lab had everything they needed from her, because remember, they still aren't sure whether this is indeed Jelani or not because the body was unrecognizable. So to Carmen, she just knows her son is missing and that's all she knows. They cannot be sure this is Jelani until this whole DNA process gets done. So yeah, you better believe she was calling them up to make sure everything was going smoothly and, you know, they were doing their jobs and shit. Anyway, doing her due diligence, Carmen called the coroner, but no answer. So she left a message and requested he call her back, but silent, nothing. Two days later on September 10th, she called again, no answer. She left a message, but again, silent, no call back. Finally, two days after that... On September 12th, Carmen got in touch with someone from the coroner's office, but not the coroner himself, and they informed her that the DNA testing was put on hold because the state lab didn't have some sort of chemical to process the DNA. Apparently, they had ordered it, but it was on back order and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was on hold because they didn't have all the resources they needed to complete the testing, and they were waiting for those resources to come in. Finally, though, on September 16th, so 10 days after Carmen and her family provided the DNA samples for comparison, she finally spoke with the coroner. I'm not certain whether she had to call him again or if he finally returned her calls, but regardless, it was 10 days later. But he told her he was sorry that his phone had been giving him trouble and his phone had been at the cell phone carrier store and something, something, something. It's really not important what he told her because he basically gave her some lame excuse as to why he hadn't returned her calls. Regardless, he informed her that he had not yet ordered any dental records and he wasn't sure about the chemical situation. Seriously, WTF. Clearly, Carmen was quite distraught, and at this point, she had no idea if her son was missing or dead, to put it bluntly. But, as she was researching, trying to find answers, she started seeing the media saturated, literally saturated, with another case during this time. That was the case of Gabby Petito, particularly before they discovered she had been murdered when she was considered missing. Why was this young woman... A white woman, getting so much coverage, but her son, Jelani, who was technically missing too, a black man, why was he getting very limited coverage and pressure from the media to further the investigation? So, Carmen started pushing, trying to get into contact with whomever she could to get Jelani's story out there too. Not because Gabby's wasn't important, of course it was incredibly important, but so was Jelani's. Carmen also noticed that Gabby Petito's parents got the FBI involved, which propelled the case forward and sped up the process and pressure. So why couldn't the FBI get involved in Jelani's case too, especially after this happened? Listen to this. On September 22nd, Carmen received a call from the Peru Police Department. They wanted her to identify some clothing that had recently been found in the area where Jelani's car and the body were found. And let me tell you who found the clothes. They informed Carmen that two white students from ISU, both female, were bored and wanted to do something to help in Jelani's case. So they decided to go to Peru to do their own little search. And guess what they found? Lo and behold, they found the clothes Jelani was wearing later in the day when he was last seen on August 24th. You know, the Jimi Hendrix t-shirt and white or silver shorts. But wait, Carmen thought, hadn't that area already been extensively searched? How did these two random students just randomly find a key piece of potential evidence? Sounds pretty fishy to me, and it definitely did to Carmen. But... Carmen told the police. She said she had to be honest and tell them that she really wasn't sure if those were his clothes or not. She said they may be, but she wasn't completely sure. So, do you know what these assholes told her? They said, well, if you want us to take it and bag it up, like if you don't think it's his, then we will bag it up and just put it in evidence instead of testing it. Um, what? Carmen shouldn't have to tell you to do your damn job, and that's exactly how she felt. Eventually, from what I gather, though, the fucktards did end up testing it because Carmen later said that it was definitively Jelani's clothing. Oh, and did you know that these two young ladies, the ones who found his clothing, have lawyered up? Um, why? If you were just trying to help, you were just bored and trying to search for evidence, why? Why? But do you think police have subpoenaed them or pressured them to talk? Nope, at least not that they have communicated or confirmed with Carmen and her family. Around this same time, or sometime on September 22nd, Carmen received a call from the coroner, basically telling her the dental results and DNA results were ready. But he needed her to confirm some dental information before they could give her the results. Wait, what? Didn't you guys say it would take up to four weeks to complete and as of a few days ago, the chemical or whatever wasn't even in stock and you hadn't even ordered the dental records? Oh, and you said it was quite likely that the dental records wouldn't show anything anyway because Jelani's teeth were missing. So how did we already have the results within literally 24 hours? It just didn't make sense. Again, more lack of transparency or whatever or basically just blatantly wrong information. But regardless, on September 23rd, 19 days after they found the body, the coroner's office issued a press release that confirmed the body in the river was Jelani. They claim this was confirmed through forensic dental identification and DNA testing in comparison. And this also means his body was found about a mile from where his car was found in the wooded area in Peru. On this day, September 23rd, according to the NPR station WGLT, the Bloomington Police Department held the one and only press conference in this case to announce that Jelani's body had been found and positively identified. At that press conference, the spokesperson said Bloomington Police Department had been the lead in the investigation behind Jelani's disappearance. At this point, he said, even though they could positively identify Jelani, the actual cause of death was still unknown. They were still working to determine if any type of foul play was involved, pending a toxicology report and further investigation. Police also announced that they did conduct a thorough search of Jelani's vehicle and surrounding area, and they pulled some evidence from that search, though they didn't reveal exactly what evidence they did or did not find. What the spokesperson for Bloomington PD did say, however, was, quote, It's just a difficult case to talk about. We're still doing our investigation. We're not finished with it. I just talked to the detective. There's still things that we still need to do. Just because Jelani was identified and the body was located, that doesn't mean we're done. If anything, that helps us help the LaSalle County Sheriff's Office. They've got a death investigation. There's not a whole lot I can say on that. But that's where we're going to be, helping each other, end quote. Police went on to say that it is very much a team effort among multiple law enforcement agencies. According to a press release from the LaSalle County Coroner's Office, those agencies include the Bloomington Police Department, Iowa State University Police Department, Peru Police Department, the Illinois Emergency Management Agency, LaSalle County Sheriff's and Coroner's Offices, the LaSalle County State's Attorney's Office, and the LaSalle Police Department, Illinois State Police and the FBI Springfield office. Does it sound like a little too many cooks in the kitchen to you? (laughs) Because at this point, I can't imagine how they have any information straight, to be honest, because that's way too many people working one case and not taking a lead. Nobody's taking a lead. Anyway, upon conclusion of the press conference, Jelani's family was left to grieve with still no answers as to how Jelani ended up in the frickin' Illinois River in the first place. Carmen posted on Facebook, saying, quote, At this moment, there are more questions than answers surrounding Jelani's disappearance and death, and that is where we will focus our energy. As of this moment, we do not know what happened to Jelani, and we will not stop until we do, end quote. After this, the timeline of the case gets a little murky because so much stuff was going on, on the part of the law enforcement as they continued their, I guess, investigation, or whatever they were calling it, and on the part of Jelani's family, friends, and supporters as they pushed for answers, all while still grieving. But after Jelani's body was supposedly positively identified, both Illinois State University and Alabama A&M University issued heartfelt statements that I'd like to read to you because it shows just how much colleges and universities are affected at multiple levels when tragic situations like this happen. ISU President Terry Goss Kinsey issued a statement saying that Jelani was very much a well-liked and well-respected student who made an immediate impact on the campus community. Kinsey said, quote, "He is remembered as kind, intelligent, and caring." End quote. Kinsey also thanked those who helped bring awareness to Jelani's disappearance through social media, going on searches, handing out missing person flyers, or attending the Night of Support event on campus. She said, "Quote." Today and in the coming days, it is important that we come together as a community as we offer our support to Jelani's family and each other. Let us remember to take care of one another, check in on one another, and convey our feelings of love to those close to us, End quote. Alabama a and issued a statement saying, quote, the entire Alabama a and University family is saddened to learn of the untimely death of one of its sons and proud speech pathology graduates, Jelani Day. Our hearts and prayers go out to his family in this tumultuous time, as well as to all of those who knew and loved him. End quote. As I previously mentioned, a lot of stuff was going on between the press conference where police announced they identified Jelani's body and when the coroner released the toxicology report and autopsy findings. For starters, Carmen stayed true to her word and did not and has not stopped looking for answers. She and her family have been fighting to bring national attention to Jelani's case, and she interviewed with multiple national media organizations and news agencies, including Good Morning America and the Chicago Tribune. According to the pantograph, Jelani's family set up a GoFundMe account in efforts to raise money to offer a reward for information regarding Jelani's case, because it appears that nobody knows anything, and if they do, they have not come forward. As of November 17th of this year, the GoFundMe account has raised over $39,000 and the family is offering a reward of $25,000 for information leading to answers in the case. Carmen told GMA, quote, Jelani did not just disappear into thin air. Somebody knows something. Somebody's seen something. And I need somebody to say something, end quote. Another key moment in this investigation came a few days after the press conference on September 29th, 2021. Apparently, the town of Normal, where ISU is located, removed a painting or a mural of Jelani that had been displayed anonymously on the side of a building in the downtown area, basically as a respectful tribute to Jelani. And let me tell you, the painting is probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I actually posted a picture of it to my Instagram and Facebook, so be sure to check it out on my social media. But anyway, the painting had been printed on paper and pasted to a sheet of particle board on the building. However, according to the town of Normal, the mural violated some sort of town code, so they had no other choice but to remove it, according to an article in the pantograph. This removal, though, sparked a good deal of controversy and resulted in protests at City Hall on October 4th. In response to the protests, the Town of Normal posted on Facebook, saying they recognized it was an expression of grief over a tragic situation, so they took the mural down in efforts to respectfully preserve the tribute, and they were working with ISU to explore options for sharing it on campus. The Town of Normal announced, quote, the tribute has been respectfully preserved with framed plexiglass. This is a temporary display until the tribute can be transferred to ISU. End quote. Also, on October second, Jelani's fraternity, the New Epsilon chapter of Omega Psi Phi at Alabama A&M, created a Change.org petition. They are calling for state and federal authorities to investigate Jelani's death because they are critical of Bloomington Police Department's handling of the case. They pointed to statements made by police at the one and only press conference after Jelani's body was found and identified. The petition says, quote, Jelani is loved and represents the absolute best of our beloved fraternity. Therefore, bringing those responsible for this heinous act to justice is not a request, but a demand, end quote. As of November 19th, the petition had 32,790 signatures out of a goal of 35,000. On October 7th, the Black Student Union at ISU led a candlelight march from campus to the Red Bird Arena for a memorial service honoring Jelani. Hundreds of people attended, and at the memorial, Dr. Christina Platt, the director of ISU's Multicultural Center, presented Jelani's family with that preserved mural that had been removed from the building in Normal. Jelani's mother also spoke at the memorial saying, quote, Thank you for realizing Jelani was important, not just to us. He was important to everybody. I want the world to know that black and brown people deserve the same as any other folks. End quote. Several of Jelani's friends and family spoke at the memorial as well. His older sister, Dakara Bolden, talked about how close the five siblings are. She said, quote, we call ourselves the five heartbeats and that will never change because through us, Jelani's heart will beat on, End quote. At this point, Jelani's case began gaining even more national attention and both Carmen Bolden Day and Save Day, her husband, Jelani's father, hired an attorney to fight for more answers. You see, to them, things just didn't make sense. And waiting for the toxicology report and autopsy was beyond nerve wracking. Their attorney, who actually is now their former attorney, Hallie Besner, told Newsy, which is a news network headquartered in Atlanta, that evidence indicates Jelani did not end up in the river willingly. Besner said, quote, I speak for the family when I say that we are confident someone did something to Jelani. We don't know who that person is. We don't know what they did, but we feel very strongly and the evidence points to someone else being involved in this. End quote. Jelani's funeral and memorial services were held on October 9, 2021 at Danville High School. The nearly four-hour long service featured a choir of community members and a host of Jelani's friends, family, and teachers who all spoke and recalled their fondest memories of him. His family primarily remembered him as a debater, protector, lover, and a God-fearing man. His older brother, Save Day, remembered Jelani actually making fun of him and jokingly calling him Turtle and singing the Franklin theme song to him. Save said this helped to actually build his own confidence, though. Jelani's older sister, Dakara, remembered how Jelani would often come into her house and drink all her juice and eat all her biscuits. And she remembered his big bear hugs that would eventually lead to Jelani jokingly and brotherly putting her into a headlock and she said she remembered how she would do all she could to protect her younger brother even though she knew he wanted to be the one who protected her and Jelani's little sister Zina said they were so close that they were like twins but he would remind her that he was the older brother who always made her laugh the hardest and pushed her to be tough strong and confident At the funeral, we also learned that Jelani and his family never hung up the phone without saying, I love you. Jelani is survived by his parents, Save Day and Carmen Bolden Day, his two older brothers, Savee and DeAndre Day, an older sister, Dakara Bolden, a younger sister, Zena Day, his grandmother, Gloria Bolden, his aunt, Terry Davis, and his uncle, Gary Bolden. At the funeral, his aunt, Terry Davis, said, quote, He is not ordinary. His name will be remembered. His name shall ring forever. His name is Jelani Jesse Javante Day. End quote. Even though Jelani's family laid him to rest, his family was far from resting. Carmen actually said that she can't rest, and she's not going to because she still doesn't know what happened to her son. At this point, several law enforcement agencies were still investigating Jelani's death, but now the lead was passed from the Bloomington Police Department to the LaSalle County Sheriff's Office since the case went from being a missing person investigation to a death investigation. However, police would not say whether they believed it was a homicide or a suicide or an accidental death of some sort until after the toxicology report was released, which wouldn't be for another several days. However, according to WGLT, the LaSalle County Sheriff's Office released a rare public statement on October 13th about the status of the investigation. They said members of a multi-jurisdictional investigation unit are meeting daily to follow up on the case, as well as reviewing hundreds of hours of security video. They also said they conducted another search of the Illinois River, which did not yield any results. But according to WGLT, some of his belongings had been found at some point. Like I said, his wallet had been found, but I guess apparently his ISU lanyard was also found, which those items were recovered in or near Peru following his disappearance, but prior to his body being identified. Finally, sometime between October 13th and October 15th, because sources aren't clear on the exact date, but somewhere in that time, the LaSalle County Coroner, Richard Plock officially released the results of the toxicology report. According to the report obtained by the Pantograph, a testing lab in Horsham, Pennsylvania, received tissue samples taken from Jelani's liver, kidneys, and brain on September 8th. The testing revealed traces of caffeine and evidence of nicotine and cannabis use. However, the amounts found were, quote, not typically toxicologically significant, end quote. At this point, though, law enforcement and the coroner were still not commenting on the cause of death, which means the manner in which Jelani actually went into the river, as in how he actually got in there in the first place, was still not revealed because investigators were still saying they had no leads as to how or why it happened. The family's attorney... At the time, Hallie Besner said, quote, The toxicology report was exactly what we expected it to be and unfortunately provides no answers as to what happened to Jelani, end quote. Also, at some point, Jelani's family hired their own private forensic pathologist to examine Jelani's body. I mean, hello, it's not uncommon to get a second or third opinion from different experts. And I think it's very important to point out here that there was some misconstrued information going around that was definitely not accurate, as in people just misunderstood it. Carmen had initially told the Chicago Tribune that their hired pathologist found no organs in Jelani's body, which led people and the public down a rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and misinformation about organ harvesting. Now, while part of that was true, it was later cleared up in a Facebook post that while some of Jelani's organs were missing, there was a perfectly reasonable explanation. Jelani's organs had decomposed after his body spent several days in the river and therefore were not present for a second autopsy, which included his brain, liver, and spleen. So you can imagine that the pathologist wasn't able to get a lot of information from the autopsy because of this. Now, I'm going to come back around and give you some pretty shocking and specific details that came directly from the pathologist the family hired, Dr. James Bryant. But put a pin in that for now while I continue with the timeline. And as you can probably conclude, all of this testing delayed Jelani's actual burial, and he wasn't actually laid to rest until October 19th, 10 days after his funeral. The burial service was held at the Spring Hill Cemetery in Danville, Illinois, and the Reverend Jesse Jackson attended along with about 30 other people. For those of you who aren't familiar with Reverend Jesse Jackson, he is a prominent political activist and Baptist minister, and he is a founder of the Rainbow Push Coalition, which stands for People United to Save Humanity. Slightly different from what I initially thought it meant of pray until something happens. But hey, it's a good mission either way, right? But anyway, Jesse Jackson has become a huge supporter in seeking justice for Jelani, and he wanted to attend Jelani's burial service to demonstrate that support. At this point, Jelani's family and supporters have been pushing for the FBI to take over the lead in the case, and Jackson came in to demand that happen as well. According to the pantograph, Jackson said, quote, Jelani was brutally murdered in Peru, Illinois, and found faced down in the Illinois River we are requesting a thorough investigation because local officials have been very difficult to deal with. They have not been forthcoming. We're requesting that the FBI and the Department of Justice conduct a thorough investigation because it smells like another Emmett Till case all over again. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old boy who was lynched to death in 1955 in Mississippi and then submerged in water, making him unrecognizable. Jackson is highly skeptical of the case and considers it to be the result of a hate crime, which he says is why the FBI should get involved. According to the FBI website, the Bureau works with local and state authorities when hate crimes are considered, even when federal charges are not filed. Then the FBI is the lead investigative agency for criminal violations of federal civil rights. But law enforcement says there has to be a reason to believe a federal crime has been committed. And in this case, they say, no law enforcement agency has publicly said a federal crime has occurred or is suspected in the case. According to the Peru police chief, Robert Piska, or maybe Paiska, the FBI has been asked to take the lead, but they have not done so. He said they made the request on behalf of the Joint Task Force as a response to the day family requests. Piska told the pantograph, quote, The FBI is assisting on this case, but will not take over the lead of this investigation. They will assist us in any possible way they can, but they will not take over the lead in this case. The family numerous times asked us to pass this investigation off, and we have attempted to do such. end quote. A spokesperson for the Springfield FBI Division, Patrick Hoffman, offered further explanation of why the FBI hasn't taken over the lead. Hoffman said, quote, If a violation of federal law has occurred, then the FBI can initiate an investigation and we would typically work that jointly with the other agencies. If there is no federal violation, so for example, state or local laws have been violated, then the FBI may not have jurisdiction over those crimes. There's other ways that we can still assist, but it would be in an assistance role, not necessarily as the lead investigative agency, end quote. In the midst of all of this, however, keep in mind that the coroner has still not released the actual cause of death, at least not yet. He did not officially do so until October 25th, 2021. His statement reads, quote, After consideration of the currently known circumstances surrounding his death, based upon review of the extensive available investigation, medical and dental information, and after post-mortem examination with multiple ancillary and special studies, the cause of death of this positively identified 25-year-old male, Jelani Jesse Javante Day, is drowning. Unfortunately, there is no specific positive test at autopsy for drowning. Although the examination was suboptimal based upon the degree of decomposition and predation activity while the body was within the river during a period of warm water, there was no evidence of anti-mortem injury such as manual strangulation, an assault or altercation sharp, blunt, or gunshot injury, infection, tumor, natural disease, congenital abnormality, or significant drug intoxication. End quote. That was a lot. <laughs> so, Jelani's official cause of death, according to Richard Plock, the coroner, was drowning. However, he pointed out that they still aren't sure of his manner of death, as in if it was a homicide or suicide or accidental. It's still unknown, according to NPR. And Carmen called the report an insult to her and her son. She said, quote, Jelani was an avid swimmer, and an avid swimmer does not drown himself. Jelani didn't have depression or mental issues. Those are indicative of someone that had suicidal thoughts. That's not what my son had, End quote. The day after the coroner released his official report on the cause of Jelani's death, Jackson's Rainbow Push Coalition led the March for Jelani Day in Peru, seeking justice in Jelani's death. During that event, which brought in over 500 peaceful protesters who marched from the Peru Police Department to the Illinois YMCA, which is near the location where his car was found, U.S. Representative Bobby Rush, a Democrat from Chicago, requested that the Department of Justice investigate Jelani's death. And Bishop Tavis L. Grant II said they are seeking to, quote, raise the profile of how horrific and heinous this incident has been for this family. We believe there is a great deal of misinformation and malfeasance that is at hand from the very beginning of Jelani being reported missing. From the coroner's office to the police department to the sheriff's office, if it is not incompetence, there is a great deal of deficiency and dysfunction in terms of the way information was given, the way the remains were handled, End quote. You see, here's some information that wasn't necessarily made blatantly public as I was researching this case. In an interview with Chicago's ABC7 station, Carmen took a reporter to Peru to show her exactly where Jelani's car and body were found. As she was taking her through the wooded area near the Illinois River, Carmen pointed out where Jelani's car was. And she told the reporter that the reason she so strongly believes foul play was definitely involved was because Jelani's license plates had been removed. Yep, that's right, they had been removed from his car, as in, they were not there when police found it. Carmen explained to the reporter, saying, quote, My kids didn't come to Peru for nothing, never was raised anywhere near here, don't know anyone here, and Jelani would not have known to come and park his car in this wooded area, end quote. Also, at this point, Carmen pointed out that the license plates, as well as his cell phone, have never been found. At least not until recently, but I'll come back to that in a moment. But Carmen is adamant that anyone who believes Jelani did this to himself is wrong. She went on to explain, quote, Number one, Jelani knows how to swim. For them to imply that Jelani drove his car into this space, took it all the way over there, parked it, removed his license plates, then walked to where they're saying that his body was found a mile and a half away from here and took off his shoes, his socks and his shorts and put himself in this water doesn't even make sense. I guarantee you, my son didn't drive himself here. Whoever brought Jelani here, they were familiar with this area." Now, Let me tell you the most recent events to occur in this case. According to the reporting of Sarah Nardi for WGLT, Jelani's cell phone has officially been found. Carmen said the phone was found sometime in October on the side of an interstate highway in Bloomington. Apparently, a man stopped to pick up a mattress that had fallen off his vehicle, and he stumbled upon the phone. Then, on October 17th, the man took the phone, which was completely shattered, to Walmart and exchanged it for a whopping $80 in cash. Days later, the man was contacted by the Bloomington Police Department who told him they needed the phone because it was considered evidence in their investigation of Jelani's death. But, let me tell you how Carmen learned about police having Jelani's phone. And if you think it was from the police themselves... You'd of course be wrong. Sarah Nardi for WGLT reported that Carmen found out about this from a freaking Facebook post. The post was written by an acquaintance of the man who had found the phone. When Carmen contacted Bloomington PD, they confirmed that they did indeed have possession of Jelani's phone. They said they hadn't contacted her yet, though, because they wanted to be sure the phone belonged to Jelani. She was then asked if she wanted police to look through the phone. Um, hello again? Isn't that your fucking job? Regardless, Carmen actually requested it be turned over to the FBI. So as of November 15th, they say the cell phone was sent to the FBI for further forensic analysis. The most recent news and developments in Jelani's case came from a live town hall meeting that was hosted this past Friday evening on November 19th. They coined the event Jelani Day's Day, and they are trying to push for not only national attention to the case, but also they want to put pressure on the Department of Justice to investigate this as a hate crime. We all want to know why the two young women who found Jelani's clothing haven't been subpoenaed or investigated. We want to know how Jelani's phone got from Peru to wherever the hell it was randomly found on the side of the road. We need a call to action for Jelani Day. So now back to the pathologist the Day family hired and his findings. I'm going to warn you that this part will be hard to hear. And though I'd normally tell you to skip ahead a minute or so, which you can do, I do think this part is essential to hear because it makes it clear just how urgent it is to get justice for Jelani. So Dr. James Bryant, the pathologist the family hired, was one of the people who spoke at the live virtual town hall meeting. He said he conducted what is typically called a second look autopsy. When that happens, it means a second pathologist is coming in after the initial pathologist, which also means that oftentimes there is a chance that organs are missing and it could skew or deter the accuracy of the report. But, he said, when he first came in contact with the body to start the autopsy, he honestly wasn't even sure he was actually working on Jelani Day's body. This is partly because of severe decomposition, I'll come back to this shortly, but also because he literally couldn't identify him, as in the body bag was labeled Jelani Day, but there was not a toe tag on the body to confirm it was indeed Jelani. Plus, he said the body was unrecognizable to the extent that he couldn't tell what race it was, the age of the body, and he honestly couldn't even tell what gender the body was because the genitalia were missing. Not only that, but the eyeballs were missing as well. The brain and liver were liquefied, which is why they said that they basically weren't there. And his spleen was mush. Dr. Bryant said he has been doing this work for 50 years. He's examined a ton of gruesome scenes, unfortunately, such as airplane crashes and truck drivers running over people. But this body, the body that was supposedly Jelani's, was the worst condition he's ever seen. Therefore, he could not determine the cause of death, and he added that he's not completely sure he was even working on Jelani. Dr. Bryant told Carmen that, in his opinion, it looked like desecration to a body. He said if this happened post-mortem, as in after he died, then it should be considered desecration to a body, which is a crime. But if it happened before he died, then it was for sure a crime, and police should have known that from the moment they found the body. So again, I say, WTF. Y'all, I know that was hard to hear, but it was important we hear it because Jelani needs justice. Something else that Carmen said at the town hall meeting was something I think needs to be shared on here. As we know, the places we live and grow up are the places we know the best. Only we know the deep roots and history and secrets of those places, often information that outsiders would not know or even understand. And that's the type of information Carmen shared. You see, she said Peru, Illinois is historically considered a sundown town, as in it is heavily and primarily populated by white people. Carmen said, quote, if you are a person of color, you should not be found in a sundown town when the sun goes down, end quote. And that, you guys, is exactly why Carmen knows her son did not go to Peru willingly on his own volition. Y'all, we need to help Carmen and her family bring justice to Jelani. He deserves it. And trust me, you can help. You can help by sharing Jelani's story on social media, using the hashtags Justice for Jelani Day, What Happened to Jelani Day, And Jelani Day Day. So again, that's three hashtags. The first one is hashtag justice for Jelani Day. The second hashtag is hashtag what happened to Jelani Day. And the third hashtag Jelani Day Day. Let's put pressure on the Department of Justice to investigate this as a hate crime or at the very least get the FBI involved and get the FBI to take the lead. Black and brown people deserve the same resources, the same time, and the same efforts as do white people. So let's get the word out. I want to conclude this episode with some words from Carmen herself, who said, quote, I raised a great young man. He was a good son, a good brother, a great nephew. He was somebody that all of you would have loved. Jelani was important. End quote. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 19, but be sure to check out this podcast on social media. I'm at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. You can see several pictures associated with this story, so definitely check it out. Also on a lighter note, I'm officially at 47 reviews on Apple podcasts. So that means I'm only three away from my goal of 50 or more by the end of the year. So I just need three more people, you guys, just three more to leave me those reviews, just three. So come on, we can do it. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Big Mad Media. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.